It was a conference, a world conference gathering people from all over and all different faiths that came together to, to try to talk through this whole idea of prayer. And uh, one of the, one of the, the side uh, seminars, there were some people from different faiths debating what's the best, most important position of your body to be in during prayer. And one person was saying on their knees, another person was saying prostrate on the ground. And a, and a guy who was working on the, uh, the sound and the lights and the electric, electricity, uh, uh, the cables and all that, was listening to them. And he said, he said um, friends, I used to work for the, uh, the city. And I can tell you that the most effective position in prayer is upside down on a utility pole during a lightning storm. <laughs> you know, it's said that there are no atheists in foxholes, meaning that when you strip away all of what seems to support life, when, when you're in the battle, when life and death is before you, everything and all priorities become very, very clear. There are no atheists in foxholes. But day to day, not just when we're at the end of our rope, not just when everything is falling apart, but day to day, what, what makes prayer work? What makes prayer effective? We've been going through this series of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, the praise of God, the acknowledgement of who he is, Spending time just thinking about who is God to whom I'm praying? Who is, who is this one who is creator of all? Confession, just, just letting God know what he already knows, but, but acknowledging it and laying it before him so that you can, you can move past it, move past the shame. Leaving at the foot of the cross what God wants you to release to him, to trust him, and, and, and to be freed up from your past. Thanksgiving, being able to, to walk around with the lenses of gratitude, to be able to view the world through a lens, a worldview of gratitude. Not just to look at your faith, but to look at the world through your faith of thanksgiving for all that he's given. And today, supplication. Now, this is, this is the time where we need to, to think of, of prayer and the way we think of prayer, we need to recognize that there's some static. It's almost as if we are listening to a radio and the, the, the station is not quite tuned in, right? It's just sort of a little off and there's a little bit of a in the background. And, and this morning, what I hope to do for us is to look at this prayer of supplication because we all have desires, we all have wants, we have lists of things that we would want from God, right? We all have these things that we want to pray for. We want God to answer our prayers. But the way we approach supplication, the way we approach this kind of prayer, our lists, has some static to it. We need to tune it in just a little bit. So today, I hope... Hope what to do is to tune that, turn that knob a little bit so you can hear more clearly how God is calling us to cast all our cares before him because he cares for us. What makes prayer work? 
going to be going through this passage from 1 Timothy, just one section at a time. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read it section by section, and we're going to look at what makes prayer work. Let's pray together. Father, would you indeed be welcome in this place? We've been singing. We've been tuning our hearts to sing your praise. Tune our ears to your word. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's walk through three steps. One step is this. Prayer works when we get real. When we're honest. When we pray what's in us, not what should be in us. Prayer works when we're real with what we really desire, what we're really thinking. He knows it anyway. Prayer works when we approach God with what's in us, not some ginned up should be in us. It's like this. Uh, uh, George Eliot, a great author uh, in the 1800s, British author, said this. A friend is someone to whom you can pour out all the contents of your heart. Pour out all the contents of your heart, knowing that, that gentle hands... We'll sift it, keeping what's worth keeping and blowing the chaff away. We're called to pour out all the contents of our heart, knowing that there's wheat and chaff together and that God is sifting it. And in the process, in the process, there's a, there's a friendship, there's a relationship that gets built because, because we're approaching him as real people. On honest grounds, not out of some sense of false spirituality, which is toxic. Not shoulds and shouldn'ts, but what's real? What's really there? It, it's a little like this. It, it, it's as if you know, the, the desires of our hearts that we might pour out before, before God are there. They are there. They're real. Some of which have been put there. By your creator, some of them need, like I've said, to be tuned up to what's really real. Not, not to spend your life praying for two plus two to equal five, right? But to be real with God so that he can tune our hearts. And so it's a little like this. The idea that we should approach God as if we're, we're just supposed to create some false sense of what we really desire it's a little bit like a little league coach saying to a kid, all right, now when you get up to the batter's box, all right, when you get up to that batter's box, you're going to want to hit a home run, but I want you to drop down and give me 10. I want you to do push-ups instead. All right, here's the game. It's a big game. You're up. Batter's up. Ready? Now, when you get up there, you're going to want to hit it out of the park, but what I want you to do is I want you to go do some push-ups. What am I talking about? Let's read 1 Timothy 1 through 4 which can be a very disturbing and misleading section. That's why I want you to have this image in your head. What's he talking about? Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscious consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, and require abstinence from food that God created to be received 
with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What's he saying? He's saying that everything that's received with thanksgiving can be like a sacrament. It's a sacramental view of life. It's, it's to say that all of life is given by God and that, that, that there's not this religious part or there's not this part, this, this sort of religious activity, like doing push-ups on game day, that, that, that somehow makes us be something we're not. The idea here isn't that, that, that we take on false toxic spirituality with lots of hallelujahs before and ahead of everything, or that somehow we just sort of, you know, just kind of push ourselves into this place that we really aren't. The point is that, that we are honest with God about what's really in us, that we pray what's really in us, not what should be in us. It's like a, my, one of my mentors, Alan Poole, when he when he uh, was diagnosed with cancer, he, he was diagnosed with a, with a, with, with a, a tumor in his kidney. And, uh, and when I talked to him about it, he said, well, this is what I'm, I'm asking people to pray for me, but I'm asking them to pray no wimpy prayers. <laughs> I want you to pray that I'm going to be healed. I don't want you to pray wimpy prayers, and we'll let, we'll let the consequences of what God decides to do fall upon the foundation of our faith. It's great guidance. Not to, not to, and see, well, how does that connect? Well, it connects with these first three verses in that, that what's happening here is, is there's this false toxic spirituality that says, okay, if we just pull the right levers and push the right buttons, then somehow we are going to make ourselves in a position where we've got a lever and God cannot refuse that we're being religious and holy people. We're being good Christians, not just Christians. What does that mean? He's a really good Christian. Oh, okay. What, say that again? I mean, you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. I mean, you either, you either are, are saved by, by grace through faith or you're not. He's very religious. It's kind of like saying, she's very pregnant, right? He's very married, you're married or you're not. You're pregnant or you're not. You see, what I'm saying is this is part of the static. The way we talk about our faith is so disconnected from everyday life, from our, 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 our deepest desires. And young people are walking around thinking, what is this stuff? Does it just fit on Sunday? Or does it really integrate? Does it really provide a solid foundation for all of life? It drives me crazy to hear people talk like that. Because why? Because it completely divorces, yes, divorces our faith from the good things of life. And people don't know how to think about their life moment to moment, day to day. They don't know how to walk around praying without ceasing, being sacramental in their view of life, that all of life comes from God. That's how important. That's why... Paul is using such strong and piercing language, so abrasive, so conf confrontational, so blunt. He's saying, these are people who are false, and they're acting so religious and holy, but, but they're missing the point that all of life, all of life 
is to be received as a gift. And when you approach God, approach him with your deepest desires. Don't pretend. Don't be toxic and pretending that you want something you don't want. So approach him with the wheat and chaff together, knowing that gentle hands will sift it, keeping what's worth keeping and blowing the rest away. So that's the first. That's the first step in approaching God in a way that makes prayer work. How does prayer work? By being real, being honest, being who you really are before God, before your maker. Now, the second, the second is, is, is this. Starting with verse 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer, everything. And so we need to be able to have real expectations that God is listening to us responsive and present now, that our prayers affect the now, that our prayers are directed at God with expectations about not just what's going to happen long off and not just ducking and dodging, saying thy will be done, but not really meaning it, but praying no wimpy prayers. Heal my friend. And letting the consequences, the response, the circumstances that unfold fall upon faith. To have real expectations about now is to have a faith that's truly integrated into your life. You see? The, the rest is something else called dualism or Gnosticism. Use the force, Luke. Use the hood, red, all right, right? <laughs> Some of y'all didn't see that movie, but everybody saw. Use the force, Luke, right? And it's this idea that, that everything that's holy and spiritual is somehow completely disconnected from the material life, from flesh and blood and bone and relationships and checkbooks and calendars and facial expressions. And tone of voice. We're onions. Did you know that? You're an onion. Your spirituality is at every layer of your life. What, what, you, what you're saying about those different layers speaks about what you believe and what you hold dear. What your life is centered upon, grounded upon. It speaks through every layer of your life. The problem is, is that, that this, there's, a, there's a Greek influence that came into to Christianity, and, and Paul is trying to beat it back, beat it back, and it, and it comes into our same, uh, our same uh, milieu as well. Our lives, our, our reasoning, our uh, phrasing of things, we, 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 
we keep ourselves safe from this transforming power of the Spirit and the Word of God and of the community of faith and of the convictions of your own mind and heart. We try to keep ourselves safe by creating these little safe little boxes. This is a spiritual box. This is a religious box, a holy box. And sometimes we take that box out and we say, all right, let's talk about church stuff and religious stuff and spiritual stuff and that, all the rest of it. And we say, oh, this is, this is time to, uh, to, to think about that. And, and maybe some of it will just kind of maybe trickle down out into the rest of life. And we don't really know how that works, but you know, some, somehow showing up week after week or maybe opening our Bible every now and then, that's going to make that, that happen. But no, Paul is saying all of life can be sacramental. All at every layer of your life. It's not a matter of, of being, you know, using some sort of embarrassing language or having some strange set of priorities that, that just com- completely run counter across the grain and make you irrelevant in, in your circles. No, it's about, it's about elevating those different circles and, and areas of your life. It's about seeing the weight and worth and significance of, of your life in those different places. It's about living into it and, and having a strong sense of God's presence everywhere and in everything that you do. And so Paul is calling us to receive sacramentally all of life, all of life's moments with a great sense of thanksgiving Because just as we learned last week, that's, that's the view that we have that influences even how, how we live moment to moment. You know, why, why paint a room, right? Why paint a room or why, why develop this part of the property if it's all just, you know, it, God's going to come back someday and make everything right anyway, right? And so, and so we get into this mindset that, that somehow... Uh, that, that heaven is, is something we're going to get into. And what God and what Paul is saying through this passage is, he's wanting heaven to get into you. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not just saying, eventually, Lord, at some point, you're going to come back, or we're going to die, and we're going to go to heaven, and, and, uh, and then eventually you're going to make everything right. He's saying, he's saying, no, now, now, live your life in a sacramental way, in a way that sets more and more of it apart as significant, even as holy. Not thinking of holiness as this wispy, this other, this numinous, this this disconnected place, but in in a sense an earthy spirituality that, 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 that breathes life into all of your moments. We're onions. We're onions, and we need to pray with the expectation, greater expectations, that God meets us now with our prayers, that he responds to them, and that third, he's shaping us through them. See, that's the third step, is is being willing to let God know some things that we don't know. <laughs> it's kind of funny to say that because, you know, we all, we all know that, right? We all know God knows some things that we don't know, right? But when we pray and when we really want something that we think he doesn't want us to have, we do think we know better than he, don't we? Right? It's like, God, I know you're God, and I know you run the universe, and I know you made everything, and I know that I'm dependent entirely upon you, but I really know better than you do about this one thing. So uh, change your mind. All right? I mean, really, 
I want this so much that it must be in your very best will, your very, very best for me. Right? That's what we think. And that's how you're supposed to pray because, because that's what I said in the first point. We're supposed to pour that out. But recognize, recognize, don't, don't just stay there where it's all about your desires. Being willing, be willing to be shaped in your prayer, to be shaped in your desires, knowing that God may know some things you don't. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who get married thinking that they are going to shape their spouse <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not a good idea. Well, it doesn't work, all right? It doesn't work. And in fact, it usually backfires, all right? <laughs> um, okay, I'm speaking from some experience here. As someone who has a spouse who wants to shape me, I mean, I just approach her perfectly. I'm, I have no expectations that are outside of her natural bent, you know. Sarcasm is appropriate sometimes, you know. Sarcasm is appropriate. But see, we do this in relationships and we think, okay, I'm going to shape this person. No. Your, your friendships are influential when you let them influence you, Right? I mean, they're influential for, for ill or for good. We all know that. When you go into a, a marriage or you enter into a, a partnership where, where you know that someone has strengths you don't have or insights you don't have, and you're willing to lay down some of your pride, to, to let that person shine, to let that person shape you even and, and grow you up a little bit, boy, that's powerful. How would we think that somehow prayer is any different from the relationships that we have that, that make life work, where, where we know that the people around us are there, that God placed them on purpose? Don't you believe that, that God does engineer your circumstances, that his providence is at work? And if you do, don't you think that the people around you are in your life on purpose? And so the way that we that way that we are willing to be shaped by God in prayer. How much more? How much more? All of this, this, this makes me think of this, um, this whole story about, about this, uh, this girl who wanted to be, she wanted to be a cowgirl when she grew up. And she said, Dad, I want to be a cowgirl. And so uh, she grew up and, and then eventually she, she went to college and she came out of college and she said, Dad, I'd like, to, I'd, like to be a, I'd like to go to medical school. And he said, I'm sorry, honey, I've got all our, our assets uh, are sunk into this property out west because you said at one time you wanted to be a cowgirl. When you were three years old, your deepest desire was to be a cowgirl. So I put all of our assets into this, into this piece of property out west so that you can be a cowgirl. As if somehow you and I know exactly what is best for us. Know better than God about what is best for us. Paul goes on after verse 5. In verse 6, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith. Trained in the words of faith. Doesn't it sound like shaping? Well, it is. Of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, you see he's making a direct comparison. 
Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life. You hear that? For the present life and also for the life to come. Holiness is the shaping of desire. Not just the pouring out of, your con- of the contents of your heart, wheat and chaff together, but the shaping. Holiness is the shaping of desire. Not just receiving life sacramentally and thanks- with thanksgiving as a gift to see God's hand at work and to see the significance of life moment to moment, to drink life in, but also being willing as we pour out our supplications, which is just a fancy word, for God be my supply, supply what I need to being willing to allow those desires to be shaped. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes that means your desires are best for you. What you desire is from God. It is in his best interest. It's in the best interest of his kingdom, his glory, and the people around him. And sometimes he put it there, and and he, he will give that to you. And sometimes our desires need to be put into us. It's a little bit like reading when you read Jesus' words where he says, What good father, what good father, when, when, someone, when a son asks him for a fish, would give him a stone? Some of the things that you think you really want are actually stones when he wants to give you a fish. Do you have the the willingness to be influenced by someone who knows more than you? To be someone whose desires are shaped for this present life. That you would be shaped. Recognizing that holiness is not this this disconnected thing that we'll see when we're flying around on clouds somewhere. But in fact, when when God's kingdom comes, we'll see how lightweight we really are right now. That in fact, the holiness of God is to be fully awake and alive as a human being made in the image and likeness of God, able to to receive life sacramentally, able to connect with people on such a level that is so pure and, and, and so devoid of duplicity and, and so rich and so robust and so winning and so fulfilling. To have some more of that now is what it means to pray with integrity, to pray what's real, and to be shaped. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your powerful word that does shape us, shapes our desires, shapes our mind, the way we think. It shapes our desires, what motivates us to take our next steps to prioritize our lives. And in these closing moments, we pray that you would elevate our vision of human life, that we would see what you're calling us to, not as something less than, not as something other and disconnected, Lord, but something more, greater, to take those desires and to have a sure foundation for them, to have, Lord, just a a great and powerful 
shaping. And so, Father, we, we cast all our cares before you, knowing that you care for us. The psalmist says this. Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Where should I go from your spirit? Where should I flee from your presence?